Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to begin there in verse number 1. And we're going to read down through verse 14. I've been struggling with my voice as well, and not because I came here and your pastor was struggling with his voice, I heard. But I have been struggling with that, so let's just pray the Lord will keep that for me. I want to start out before we read the scripture, and I want to read another scripture to you first, and then we're going to read Romans 8. So hold your place and go back to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, and we'll get right into the preaching today. Luke chapter 14. And I want to share a scripture with you before we get into the context of what we're going to talk about today. Luke chapter 14, verse number 25. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. The Bible says this. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Jesus says, and there, and the Bible says of Jesus, and there went great multitudes with him. Great multitudes. Let's be honest. We all would like to have multitudes, right? And you can get multitudes today. You can do that. I don't buy into this independent Baptist mentality that multitudes are bad. Amen? I don't know why we believe that, but if a church gets larger, a lot of times preachers, as you know, preacher, think that it's all because of compromise. No, you can stand by the Bible, and if you grow, you grow. That's awesome. Amen? We ought to grow spiritually, and we are going to reproduce. But he says, great multitudes followed him, and he turned and said unto them. Now, can you imagine if Jesus Christ, the greatest preacher that ever lived, bar none, And here's the multitudes following him. And he turns to them. And the Bible says he said. So he turns and he's getting ready to say something to them. And it's almost like, and it's not that I'm trying to promote a Hollywood movie, but there was a movie with Tom Hanks. And I forget the movie, but I remember he was jogging or something. And he had been jogging for a long time. And he's jogging along. And this guy stops. And the character in the movie, he stops and he turns. And everybody starts saying to each other, hey, he's going to say something. He's going to say something. And it's like it goes back throughout the whole mass of people, the multitude that's behind him. And he says, he's going to say something. They're all anxiously listening to what he's going to say. Jesus does that. He stops. And he turns to this multitude. And the Bible says in verse 26, this is what Jesus says. This is not really in the manual on how to keep your church large. Amen. He says this, if a man come to me and have not, or sorry, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his what? Own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You know what Jesus says? He says this, and the word hate means literally to love less. Jesus says, if you don't put second to me, in other words, if you don't love less, father, mother, brother, sisters, and all those things. And can I say to you today, the truth is brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers are usually an excuse for the real problem. And that is Jesus says, yea, and your own life also, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, if we don't put ourselves, amen, second to him, if we don't love ourselves less than him, amen, then we cannot be his disciples. Well, when you get over to Romans 8 now, Paul's dealing with a subject that I believe is not taught on enough today in our New Testament churches, amen? And that is a subject of the flesh. That is that that battle that goes on between the new man and the old man. That battle that goes on between that old nature and that new nature. And Paul deals with this in Romans 7 through 8. And he says here in verse number 1 this. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation, adverse sentence, amen, to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. That's pretty basic. Amen. If you're walking after the flesh, you know how you know that? You say, preacher, how do I know if I'm in the flesh? How do I know that? Well, the things that you're attending to or minding indicate what you're walking after. And he says this in verse number six, for to be carnally minded is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but ye are in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is not of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, amen, in light of, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But ye, if ye through the Spirit do mortify, and that's the word we're going to talk about today, the deeds of the body ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Father, I pray this morning that the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost would be upon this place. Lord, I thank you that we have a perfect Bible. We have the Word of God. We have no doubt about that. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we have an authority. It's not church. It's not, a, it's not just a system of beliefs. It's the Bible where we draw our beliefs from. And Lord, I pray today that, Lord, that you'd speak to the hearts of your people today. I thank you for the great church here, Lord, and this pastor that loves you and Father and loves your word. And Lord, I pray today. I thank you for the changes I've seen. It looks like things are changing around here and for the better. But Lord, if there be one here today that is not saved, they've never been born again. I pray today, Father, that they would see their sin before a holy God. And that Father, through the conviction of the Holy Ghost, that you would bring them to repentance and faith in Christ today. I pray they would be born again, be saved today and put their trust in him. I pray today for the child of God that you would strengthen us. Help me in the preaching now, Lord, that you might be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you might be thinking as we begin this morning, as we read in Luke chapter 14, and now we're going into Romans chapter 8, and we'll draw our, our outline today, our, our scripture today. We'll be in Romans 8 primarily. We'll look at some others. You might be thinking to yourself today, what on earth does this message have to do with New Testament missions? Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. It has everything to do with New Testament missions. You see, the problem is, Paul says in, in the book of Romans here, when you get down to verse number, I believe it is, eight, amen, Paul says this, so then, and he starts out the chapter under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and he says in the beginning of the chapter this, he says that in the first four verses, Paul makes it clear, the Holy Spirit moving through him makes it clear that you and I have been freed from something. 
There was, a, there was a condemnation. There was an adverse sentence. The wrath of God had abided on us. But the day that we repented and trusted Christ, the day by faith we trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ came into our lives, and now we are free from the condemnation, that adverse sentence that was against us. And through the Spirit of Christ, we have been made free in Christ to walk after him. You know what? The day that we got saved, what happened was, if you study the book of Romans, is that before I was saved, I was in bondage to sin, to myself. Amen. I did what naturally came to me. But the day that I got saved, amen, and this is what we sometimes forget in our American mentality of the Bible. We think that heaven is what it's all about. But the truth is, heaven without Christ would just be another place, amen. We were saved not just to go to heaven. We were saved so that what I could not do before, because I was in bondage to the flesh and to the devil, John chapter 8, verse 44 that when I got saved, now I am free in Christ to live unto him. It's not just going to heaven, folks. We are saved to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And so you say, what does that got to do with missions? Well, I'll tell you, I don't care if you're a missionary. I don't care how many titles you have after your name. I don't care how long you've read this Bible. Paul says, so then they that walk after the flesh cannot please God. So the biggest adversity the biggest enemy of new testament missions whether it's people giving financially and praying and churches supporting men to go out or whether it's the men going out themselves to do the job the biggest enemy to new testament missions is ourselves we're the biggest enemy you know what would kill this church within a short time and you wouldn't have all that you have right here you 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 know what kills the work of God in missions? You know what kills the work of God in our lives? We do. It's amazing that brother and sister, father and mother, that's not the enemy. The enemy to you and I, Paul deals with in Romans 8, and we're going to talk about mortifying, killing the deeds of this old man. Wouldn't it be great if when we got saved, the old man was destroyed? That would have been great, but he's not. The Bible says he lives in us. We still have that old nature. We still have that old flesh. But praise God, we have a new man and we have the indwelling of the spirit of the living God. And so today, what I want to talk to you about is Paul, when he gets over into verse number 11, he talks about through verse 14, he talks about this idea of mortifying, which means to kill the deeds of the flesh. You can't get rid of, you cannot kill the old nature, but you can kill his deeds. You can put him to bay in your life put him back in his place and put him in subject amen or put yourself into subject to the new man or the new nature by the will of god and so i want to talk to you about this idea of killing the deeds of the flesh and if you notice with me here as we begin this morning verse number 13 if you're going to kill the deeds of the flesh in fact in colossians you can get your place in colossians 3 we're going to go back and forth between romans 8 and colossians but if we're going to kill the deeds of the flesh and let me just say this one more time before i get right into this the biggest problem i see in my own life and in every work i've ever been involved in I'm telling you, the biggest problem I see is we do not understand that the flesh and the spirit of the living God cannot coexist and tolerate each other. Either we're in the flesh 
or we're in the spirit. Amen. And so today I want to look at that with you. Look with me at verse number 13, if you will. And notice with me, first of all, if we're going to kill the deeds of the flesh, we need to have the right motive. In other words, folks, read verse 13 with me and I'll explain what I'm saying. The Bible says, now, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall. What's that word there? Die. Can you lose your salvation? Can we lose eternal life? Can we lose salvation? No, I know what your preacher believes, but even more important than what he believes, the Bible says it's eternal life. Amen. So what kind of death is he talking about? What kind of separation? We can lose the power of God. Amen. The purpose of God in our life. Listen, we can lose that. Why? By walking after the flesh. But he says this. He said, but if ye through the spirit do mortify, kill the deeds of the body, ye shall live. But here's the problem, folks. My wife and I recently were talking to one another and we were talking about this idea of when we get up in the morning and we look in the mirror after 40. My dad used to tell me, you can laugh all you want at my stomach, son. But when you get about 40, you're going to have the same problem. And I said, whatever, man, I work out. I watch what I eat after 40. And being on the road, guess what I have a problem with? I have to deal with this bowling ball that exists in front of me now. Well, my, we were talking one day and we we're, we're talking about the idea of we're fat. And I mean, it's really comforting to see when you're, you wake up in the morning, your wife looks and says, Jim, I'm sick of this. You're fat. I'd rather say we're fat, but she didn't say that. You're fat. And we're talking and, and I'm telling you, this isn't a joke. We're sitting there talking and she, man, she comes up with all this stuff. Bee pollen. If you eat bee pollen, you'll not, you'll lose your weight. If you, if you stand in a corner with your leg up for an hour, you'll lose. She's got all these different kinds of weight loss ideas. But finally, one day after a few months of going on and on about this, I looked at my wife and I said this application, folks. Now think about it. I looked at my wife and I said this. I played football all my life. And I said, I'm going to tell you something, Lori. Here's the truth. You can talk about your overweight. You can acknowledge a problem and you can talk about the solution to the problem all you want. But the problem will never go away until you look in the mirror one day and you say, I'm sick of looking at that fat slob and you get what? Motivated to do something about it. You know what the problem is? We know what the flesh is. We've heard great messages on it, but we have no motive to do away with the deeds of the flesh. So we allow the flesh to kind of coexist in our lives. Well, Paul says here that if we live after the flesh, we're going to die. We're going to lose the power of God in our life. We're going to lose the, the very purpose of God in our lives. And we miss out. Amen. So notice with me, we have to have a motive. And Paul gives us a good motive here in the book of Colossians chapter 3. He says this, first of all, in Colossians 3, 7, Paul makes it very clear that the flesh is powerful. The flesh, your flesh, my flesh, my old nature, your old nature. It's nothing to play with. It's very powerful. Paul says this in verse number six. For which sake, things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Now notice the colon there or semicolon. I need my glasses on. In the which ye also, what's that word? Walked sometime when ye lived in them. The word walked here means to tread all about. In other words, Paul says, hey, he's talking to the church at Colossus and he's telling them again on the subject, verse five, that they're to mortify their members. They're to put to rest. They're to kill the deeds of the flesh. And he goes on to mention those and we'll see him in a moment. But Paul goes on to say this. He said, you remember that two things. Interesting. 
He said, first of all, in verse 6, the wrath of God abides upon the children of disobedience for these very things. That's why he tells the Corinthians, these things shouldn't be in your life. Fornication, evil concupiscence, all these things we'll talk about in a moment. He said, hey, these shouldn't be in your life. Why? Because you were saved from those. You were delivered from those. You have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. But Paul reminds them in verse 7, he said, hey, remember you used to walk in these things. This is what past tense you were in bondage to. They ruled your life. You tread all about. And Paul's saying, hey, the flesh is powerful. Do you not remember before you and I got saved how the draw, the pull of the flesh, how powerful it was in our lives? And I'm telling you now, it's still powerful. Number two, the flesh has pull. Romans chapter 7, Paul says this in verse number 14. If you look there with me. Romans chapter 7, verse number 14. Paul from Romans 7 through 8, he's speaking on this subject. And he says this in verse number 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am what? Carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I, what's that word there? Say it with me. Hate. That's probably the summing up of New Testament Christianity today in our country. Paul said, and people are quick to tell you, well, listen, preacher, praise God. Paul said that he battled this old nature. He battled the old man. He battled the flesh. There was a war going on. Yes, there is. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, the things that I would do, he said, I find that I find myself many times not doing those things. The things that I know to do, the will of God in my life, I realize that I'm not doing those like I should. But he says, hey, that which I hate. You know the difference in Paul? Paul hated his old flesh. Paul hated his old ways. Paul hated that old man. He hated the deeds of that old man. Paul says, hey, we need to understand the flesh is powerful. It has pull. Paul said, hey, even to this day. Now, can I ask you a question? What missionary, as we call it today, what church planner has been through this church and behind this pulpit that did more than the Apostle Paul? Talk to me. None. I guarantee you the average church plan, I mean the good ones, brother, in 10 lifetimes wouldn't accomplish what Paul did in just a few short years on three journeys. My point is this, folks. Listen, why did God give us the account of David's adultery? Why did God give us the account of David sending Uriah off to the battle so he could embarrass King David? No, the Bible says it's for examples, amen. If this man of God, who had done more in three journeys than most missionaries would do in 10 lifetimes. If this man of God struggled with this old man, we need to understand in this motivation of dealing with the flesh that this flesh has pull. It has pull. But let me say this, the flesh, before we move on, always leads us in the same direction. You know what it is? Go back to Colossians 3. I told you we're going to flip-flop here. And look with me in verse... Number four, uh, verse number five. Notice what he says in verse five, Paul speaking on this subject. He says, mortify. And that's what we're talking about today. Killing the deeds of the flesh. Mortify, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth. Why? Because look what he says. Fornication. The word fornication means harlotry, including adultery and incest, 
in idolatry. Amen? Idols. Now you say, preacher, listen, I don't commit fornication. Not me. I don't commit fornication. I don't cheat on my wife. If you're here today and you're not married, preacher, I've never been with the opposite sex. I'm waiting till I'm married. I'm keeping myself pure. We ought to. Amen? That's good. Preacher, this doesn't affect me. We read that and we think, that doesn't affect me. But you got to remember something, folks. Idolatry or putting something before God is spiritual adultery. It's spiritual adultery. Say, what do you mean by that? Simple, folks. Paul said, I have espoused you to one. Who is our Savior and Lord? Who is the, uh, the groom? Who is it that the bride's espoused to? Who is it that saved you, as Paul said? Who is it that saved your soul? Who is it that is your Savior, Lord, Master? Who is it that saved us and we love? Talk to me this morning. Christ, amen. Well, listen, friends. When you and I allow the flesh, and you know where the flesh always leads us? It's very simple. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. You don't have to have a degree to understand it. Our flesh, from the day we were born, the day we drew our first breath, our flesh was on a course to lead us away from God. It hates God. In fact, I can prove that to you. You know that word enmity that we read a little while ago? Paul says in Romans 8, he says, the carnal mind is enmity against God. You know what the word enmity means? Here's what's funny. I used to think that the word enmity just simply meant enemy. But when you study the word, the word means hostility. Do you understand that your old man, that thing that you were, you had the day you got saved, and I wish it would have went away, but that old nature still with us, even after we're saved. That part that Paul says in Romans 7 that tries to pull us away from God, it's always trying to keep us from the work of God. And, and here in Colossians chapter 3, the Bible says that it leads us in fornication, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, which we'll talk about in a moment. Paul says that flesh, amen, hates God. It's interesting when you read Romans or excuse me, Revelation chapter six, you find as the wrath of God begins to be poured out on this world, that unsaved man runs to the rocks and to the caves. And instead of repenting and talking to God, they talk to the caves. Can you imagine talking to the caves? And what they say is this. Fall on us and hide us from the wrath of who? the lamb. Do you think they know the judgment of God where it's coming from? Absolutely. You know what you find later? I believe it's in chapter 16. You move along. The same group of people that were crying and had some form of fear of God, it seems like, the same group later is blaspheming a holy God. You know why? Because my flesh hates God. The flesh is not something we can play with. It's something that we need to understand. We need to have a motive to deal with. Why? Because our flesh draws us away from God. But number two, notice with me in Romans chapter 8. And we'll come back to Colossians in a moment. We need the right motive. Amen. If we're going to deal with this flesh, if we're going to mortify the deeds of the flesh, we need the right motive. But we also need the right method. Because here's, here's what happens. Now, you tell me if I'm right or wrong. And I'm sure in Sydney, Ohio, I was raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm sure it's the same down in Sydney. We may be a bigger city, but I'm sure people are the same, don't you think? I found that in Scotland, Nova Scotia, and yes, even in the hills of West Virginia, people are pretty much the same. 
But you ever you ever get have a New Year's resolution? Did you ever do that? Now, I know, since you've been under Pastor Alter's teaching, you know better than that. But let's just be honest. You ever do something like anybody ever say, preacher, amen, me, amen. Yeah, I'm going to lose 20 pounds this year. I'm going to do that. You know what? It never works. You know why? Because you can't overcome the flesh by good intentions. There has to be a method. There has to be some kind of a formula how to deal with this thing. And the Bible gives it to us. It's a biblical formula. The Bible says in Romans 8, 13, and then we'll go back to Colossians. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But, praise God for the but, if ye through the what? Spirit. That spirit is capital S. Why? The Holy Ghost. You know why we were given the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost? Amen. You know why Jesus says in John 16, he said, I'm telling you all of these things that are going to come and you're sorrowful. Your heart's filled with sorrow. He said, you should rejoice because if I go not away, the fact the Bible says it's expedient. The word expedient means necessary for me to leave. Why? Because if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. And you know what the comforter is going to do? The Bible says two things. He's going to give you the power of the Holy Ghost himself, his conviction to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You know what the problem is? We're so busy trying to intellectually get people to understand the Bible when the Bible says that this decision to be saved is not an intellectual decision. It's a spiritual decision. And the Spirit of God brings the conviction. He reproves. He convinces this world of their sin and righteousness and judgment. But he says in verse 13 this, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all what? Truth. Amen. Now, notice what he says here. It's interesting. He says that if we through the spirit, verse 13, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. How do we deal with this? What's kind of the method, if you will, that we deal with this flesh? Well, first of all, our power, we need to understand, as we saw in Romans 8, 13, comes through the spirit of God. Now, I want you to go with me to Colossians chapter three here, verse number 10. And notice what Paul says on this matter. He says in verse 5, he's dealing with mortifying the deeds of the flesh, your members upon this earth, and getting rid of these things in our life that shouldn't be there. But notice what he says when he gets down to verse number 10. Now, be honest with me this morning. Let's Let's be real. How many of you have ever found yourself saying, you know, I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not studying my Bible enough. I need to do that. You ever do that? Why don't we do it then? Why do we, are you sincere? I am. I've said to myself, you know what? I need to knock on more doors. I need, you know what? I need to get out and do some more work in the community. I need to do this. And I'm sincere. I mean, I really am. I want to do it. I want to see my ministry to the fullest potential that it can reach. Amen. I want to do that. Why can't we? Look what he says here in verse number 10. He said, and have put on the new man. We'll talk about that in a moment before we finish. Which is renewed, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, I want you to think about that. That word renewed there, or to renew, or the idea of renewed, means to renovate. I want you to think about that. Do you have a nice auditorium right now? Amen? How many of you ladies here could think of something you could do that would make this even nicer? Anybody? 
You don't have to say it out loud. You know what I'm saying? You say, why would you pick on the ladies? Because men probably don't care. Amen. Now, if we're talking about their deer hunting stand, they might care. You say, preacher, why would we need to renovate the new man? Why would God have to do that? It's born after him. Amen. Why would we have John chapter one, not born of the will of God or will of man or the will of flesh, but of God? Why would God have to renovate? You know what? The Bible says we're to be conformed or what the process is. We're being conformed into the image of who? Christ. Amen. You say, preacher, what do you mean renovate? The Bible says that we are renewed, this new man, not the old man. You can't renew him. You can't renovate him. You can't change and make him look better and make him act better. But the new man is renovated through who? Through the Spirit of God, through what? The knowledge of him that created him. Can I ask you a question? Where do we gain the knowledge of God? Scripture. Your preacher bangs at home every time I've ever heard him preach, and rightly so. It doesn't matter what I think or your preacher thinks. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God says. And the Bible says that we renew this new man. We strengthen him. We change him and we renovate him. How? Through the word of God. But the key is through the spirit and through the word of God, the knowledge of him that created him. So, friend, listen, if God created my new nature, then only God knows what he needs. And so we find that our power comes through the spirit. But, hey, there must be a will inside to hate. You remember what Paul said? We're not going to go back there. But you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 7? Paul said, the thing that I hate, I do. When's the last time you and I honestly hated sin like God does? Now, you know what? I'm, your preacher and I have talked about this many times. I think we have standards many times in independent Baptist churches that there's no biblical base for them. In other words, we just have standards, so we have standards, amen? That, that's not going to cut it. It's not about just standards or you have a greater standard than another person. No, my friend, it's about this. What does God say? But this I know, sin is the transgression, 1 John 3, 4. Sin is the transgression of God's law. So if we're not doing what God says, not what man says, but if we're not obeying the word of God, I'll give you a good example of this. Man, I'll hit home with this, and we're going to finish strong in a moment. But I want you to think about this. You know what I found destroys more churches and has caused more church splits and more church issues than anything? This is, honestly, this is what I found. Maybe you found something different. And that is this. I told the people in Scotland when we were getting ready to turn that church over, I preached in the last month, I was preaching some messages on, on, on unity, amen, in the church, in the body of believers. And our unity is centered around the word of God. It's not just being nice to each other. It's centered around the word of God. And I said this to them. I said, this church, the devil cannot come from the outside and close this church down. Can't do it. But I'll tell you what he can do. He can come right in the middle of this church and he can start in the middle. In other words, get in the middle of us amongst us and he can destroy it like cancer from the inside out. You know how he does that? Jesus gave us a simple truth in the word of God. And preachers, we don't do this all the time. Lay people don't do this. It's called this in Matthew 18. If your brother offends you, you're to go to what? Get on the phone and call everybody else and see what they think about it, right? Is that what we do? We're to go to them. You know what the problem is? My flesh doesn't want to go to them. It wants to talk to everybody else. But you know what we do? We try to coexist with the flesh. And so what we do is we talk to other people and then we use a scripture to justify and say there's wisdom, there's safety in a multitude of 
counselors. Amen. You see what I'm saying? We need to hate sin. We need to hate the deeds of this old man as much as God does. You know why? Because you can be polished on the outside, but that's not going to cut it with God if the flesh is ruling. Now, notice with me this, and we're going we're to finish in a moment. There needs to be emotion. Go with me back to Colossians 3, and I want you to look what Paul says here in verse number 7. Verse number 7. I'm sorry, verse number 9. Verse number 9. Paul says this. Lie not to one another, seeing. Amen? Lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put, what? Off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man. I want you to think about that. That phrase, off and on, and I'm going to have to disconnect for just a moment here, if I may. And we'll put it right here just for a moment. That word off, or I'm sorry, that phrase off and on, it has to do with the idea of investing with clothes. Literally, here's what it means. To put off is to take off, and to put on is to put on. You say, what do you mean? Let me have... Give me this. Let me show you something even more brilliant and simple. You know, sometimes we think we're so educated that we let our education take us right past simple truths. When I got born into this world, July 22nd, 1966, in Cleveland, Ohio, at 2.34 in the morning on a Friday morning, what happened in my life was I was born with one coat called the old man. One, that's it. You know why I couldn't put off the old man and had no power to do so? It's the only coat I had. But when I got saved at 13 years old, and I wasn't raised in a Baptist church. I was raised a Roman Catholic in Cleveland, Ohio. And the day I got saved at 13 under Baptist preaching three years in America, brother, not just in Scotland, in America, three years I sat under the gospel preaching. I would have gotten in a fist fight at public school and wanted to knock your teeth down your throat if you said anything against the God of that Bible. But I didn't know him. Three years. At 13, the Spirit of God began convicting my heart and opened my eyes to the gospel, and I got saved. And in church that day when I got saved, you know what happened? God gave me a new coat. Amen. He gave me a new man. And the truth is, if we're honest, this is what Paul's saying, and it's really not complicated. If you're truly born again here today, because I'm going to make a statement that a lot of people don't like today in America, but I'm going to make it anyways. I believe we have a lot of unsaved people sitting in our churches today. Amen. I really do. And I believe, as the old Puritan preacher said, and I'm not a Puritan, I'm a Baptist, but I believe what he said was very true. He said the problem in his day in his area was that he had dead men preaching dead sermons to dead people. You know why we can't motivate today? And I'm not talking about motivating with personality. You know why people will not naturally serve God? Because there's a lot of people that have one coat only. They're not saved. But if you're saved today, you have an old man and you have a new man. And honestly, the truth is, it's this easy. When you woke up this morning, you decided to either put on the old or put on the new.
or maybe you get up and you're in the new and you're walking with the Lord, but all of a sudden that person jumps in front of you, that car goes in front of you, and you get all upset and you say something you shouldn't, and boy, you put that old man back on just for a moment. My point is this, friends. We need to learn to put off the old man and put on the new. And if we'll do that, if we'll do that, we can have victory. Say, preacher, it's not that easy. That's what they told me as a Catholic at the Catholic Church when I heard the gospel from my dad. They told us that it was too easy. Well, I'll tell you, nothing is impossible with God. He has given us the ability to serve him. Let me say this and we'll be done. We need the right motive. We need the right method. And it's all right here in Romans 8 and right here in Colossians 3. But we need the right maintenance because here's the problem. You know what we tend to do? We tend to be very, very, very short-sighted sometimes. We like to look in the past as the children of God and enjoy yesterday instead of dealing with today. Now, I want you to think about this. Would you like America to get back to what it was when we were kids? I would. But you know what? Looking back and remembering Ronald Reagan and whoever it is that you liked, looking back and remembering when we had a country where our president didn't trample on the Constitution every time he opens his mouth. Hello? But looking back to what we had is not going to help us to get where we want to be. You see what I'm saying? There has to be a maintenance. Paul says this in Romans 6. He said that he dies daily. And I don't think Paul meant he died physically and was resurrected every day. That old man has, it's a daily maintenance. It has to be dealt with daily. But let me say this, 1 Corinthians, and we'll end with this. We'll end with this. 1 Corinthians, I want to show you something. And we'll end with this. And you know these scriptures, or at least, probably some of us do at least. They're comforting, amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And back in Romans, we won't go there, but you remember Paul said, quicken our mortal bodies. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be what? Changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised. What's that word? incorruptible and we shall all be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is thy sting O grave where is thy victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law But thanks be to God, which giveth us, what's that word? Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read one more verse to you. You can turn there if you want. If not, I'm just going to read it. But Galatians chapter 2, just a few pages over. Galatians chapter 2. And I want you to notice this scripture with me. Verse number 20. We need the right motive. We need the right method. And we need the right maintenance program. And the maintenance is this. It's a daily fight, but praise God, it's a temporary fight. The Bible says here, I am crucified with who? 
Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh. You see, you got the flesh, you have it. But he said, the life that I live with it, or in it, I live by the faith in the Son of God, of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can I tell you something, folks? Your salvation was not obtained because one day you just decided you would find God and work it all out. Christ died for me. Christ sent his spirit to reprove me, to draw me, to convince me, to bring me to Christ, to show me my sin, to lift that veil that I might see myself the way God sees me so that I might turn and trust Christ as my Lord and Savior. And Christ has provided the victory that I need to live in the spirit and not walk in the flesh. You know, the truth of the whole matter comes down to this. Before I was saved, I sinned because that was me. I had no option. I had no other way. But the truth is, once I'm saved, I sin because I choose to. I choose to. I choose to. The number one enemy to the work of God is me. The number one enemy to the work of God in your life is you. But if you and I will mortify, kill the deeds of the flesh, if we'll put it down, if we'll do it the way God says, then we can have victory in Christ today. We do not have to live defeated. We have victory in Christ. If you're here today and you've never been born again, you have an opportunity, as long as you're breathing, to hear the gospel, to see your sin before a holy God, to repent and trust Christ. And if you'll do that, Christ will save you today. Let's stand and pray. Pastor, you come. Father, thank you for your goodness today and thank you for the word of God.